Welcome to Being You 365. My name is Sandra Troutman, and I will be your host on this epic journey of exploring who you are 365 days of the year. The purpose of this podcast is to start a dialogue on being you. Hello, welcome to Being You 365. This is episode five. My name is Sandra Troutman and I am your host. And today I have the pleasure of talking with a phenomenal woman. When I say phenomenal, I just mean hands down, no hose bar, leader, go-getter. She's no joke, y'all. She is a motivational speaker and she published a book. She published her own book in 2014. This is amazing and she did it in six months. She is an athlete, a mother, and just, again, a leader. It is my pleasure to introduce Jamika Edwards. Hello, Miss Wonderful Woman. Hi, Sandra. That's such an awesome introduction. I'm like, wait, who is she talking about? I'm talking about you, mama. You are awesome. You are awesome. I am just so excited about this conversation. This is my sister girl talk. Yes. So we met on social media and let me just say you are such a positive force of power. Every time you write a comment, I know there's going to be like 20 hearts. (laughs) There's going to be so much positivity in your comments and I look forward to it. So I am just truly, truly, truly humbled that you're taking your Sunday afternoon to have a girls talk with me. Oh, thank you. The honor is mine. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So let's jump right into it. Let's talk about your book. You matter because every single chapter is a, well, the whole book is a collection of powerful experiences that you had with a certain person and then you you kind of pull together a book. Can you share with us like how all of these different chapters came to be and why you chose the title, You Matter? There was a time in my life uh, and I felt like I didn't matter. There were a few friends that I knew that, you know, I had been there for, um, for years. Um, my ex-husband at the time just felt like so, so many people in my life were starting to really make me feel like I didn't matter. And I know that I matter. And, you know, I'm thinking, how can how can people, you know, treat me that way? And I thought, you know, there's other people in this world that I'm sure feel the same way. And I need to make sure that they don't go down a path of destruction, that they don't go down a path of depression, that they don't forget that God created them Mm. as a person that is special, unique, beautiful, amazing. And I I started thinking, how can I, how can I do this? So initially, I I didn't think that I could publish a book. I didn't think that I was good enough. And um, as I told a few people, you know, I was going to, um, some people, you know, it's like, well, you don't have the credentials or how are you going to get a publisher or Mm. you can't publish a book. And when people tell me that I can't, um, I would say from the age of 14 on up, when I get those negative vibes from people, it fuels me mm. to prove them wrong. Mm. Um, 
So I've embedded that seed into my kids. Like, let somebody tell you you can't and use that as free motivation to prove to them and everybody else that you can because there are other people who are feeling the same way and they need that example. So when I thought about You Matter, the book, and what it was going to look like, it was uh, pretty simple. I just wanted people to know that they matter. But the complicated part was how, how do I present this into a book? Well, when I started thinking about, you know, the people who were making me feel like I didn't matter, I started reaching out to people who did make me feel like I mattered. And some of these people are not, I won't even say they're friends. Some people I I may have met as you read in some of the chapters on the fly. And we may not have ever seen each other again. Like your twin, the young woman, and she wore the same outfit as you. (laughs) White. Yes, yes. So that's, yeah, that's three. Like, it, it was a church event. Yeah. Um, I, I was a little girl, and I just I just looked up to this woman. I still do to this day. And actually, we are, we've, we've remained friends, but I didn't know her. Met her in the bathroom, and and just her, her demeanor, her style, and as a Christian woman, I was like, I need her in my life. I didn't even know it then. I, I didn't even know what that looked like, because I, I think I was like, mm maybe 10 years old and now I'm 41 but that's that's still my my sister and I actually um got married and had kids before her and then she would the roles were reversed and she would tell me how I inspired her and encouraged her when as a little girl I looked up to her but you know I I would meet people in different places and um some people like my sister my real sisters there are stories about them in the book Yes. There are people that I met like in, in different places on a plane, at a conference, and maybe we never saw each other again, but something happened in that moment that an impact was made where I was able to still be able to reach out to them. What I didn't realize when I would reach out and say, hey, can you just send me you know, a paragraph or a story? about um you know how i made an impact or about our encounter that's yeah. what it was yeah and um i knew what they did for me but i didn't know what i did for them so as these stories started coming in i remember sitting on my desk at work one day and i got an email and um my a, a girl her name is Brienne. Mm-hmm. we were in high school Oh, we actually were from fifth grade through high school together, and we're still um, in touch. But when her story came, I just cried and cried and cried. I had no idea that the impact I made on her in in high school would lead her to want her daughter to play clarinet and just different things like that. And and to know her daughter, to have watched her daughter grow up. And, it was just so powerful. You just never know how moments can impact somebody's life. And they're, you know, the next generation, you know, her seed, her legacy, yeah. because of me, because of one little person. And I wasn't, you know, a perfect student. I, I did. I, I was, I did so horrible in high school as far as grades go academically. I just didn't understand a lot, but my grades were not 
well, um, I wish that I could have done better. My grade point average was so low that my high school guidance counselor told me I wasn't smart enough to go to college mm. and I should pick something easy to do. But I let that fuel me to motivate myself that I could go to college and I would work harder and do whatever I had to do. Um, her words did hurt yeah. and they mattered, but I let it um, push me to not not take an easy route in life. So, um, you know, I did get my bachelor's degree and I actually I started a master's program. I didn't finish, maybe one day I will. But these stories as they came together um, to piece, I, I didn't realize they were really like piecing together my life at the time. I just wanted to be reminded because I knew that I mattered to people. I'm yeah. like, you know, other people can't just throw you to the side. Like, what you did for them meant nothing. Like, that's not that's not right. That's that's not um, a definition of a true friend. It's not a definition of, you know, a loving spouse. It's not at all. And it doesn't matter what you've been through. Who you are, you matter. Everybody matters. All right. And you know what's interesting with that, though? When you say everybody matters, and it is so true, you, everyone matters to someone. There is no one put on this earth for no reason without a soul caring for them. What I love about your book, though, is when you pick up the cover, you are already inspiring and you are already empowering. The, the big words, you matter with the beautiful um, the butterfly. Well, I'm glad you asked about the cover because I need to give credit um, I, I never <clears throat> take away from anyone, but there, okay, I worked at the high school. I, I worked at a high school when I was um, in the process of writing my book. Okay. And um, prior to me knowing that I was going to do it, I joked around with uh, one of the teachers. His classroom was not far from, um, like, my office was in one area, then I would go through the break room, and then there was his classroom. So sometimes we would catch each other in the break room or I would go over to where his classroom was because his students hung up. They did some phenomenal work. They were, it was, um, he did a photography class and um, graphics class. So it was all graphic arts, uh, arts and design. So I would often go and look at the students' work and I was just so impressed. One day I saw there was a lot of book covers. <clears throat> So the seed was already planted in me that I was going to write a book. I just hadn't set the date or the goal or the time frame yet. But when I saw these book covers, I was like, Peter, did your students do these? Are these real books? And they said, well, they recreated, redesigned, you know, actual, you know, books that are published mm -hmm. for an assignment. I was like, man, I said, um, okay, so I'm going to write a book. Can your students do the cover he said sure he was like matter of fact let me know when you're ready and i'll make an assignment for them and you'll have 25 options wow so where people you know sometimes will have to pay and struggle for book covers this man blessed me with 25 options wow so, so what happened was when i started to get like really down to the details of, okay, I'm going to publish it. I'm, I need to publish this day. And then he also needed to know how many pages was, it was going to be to predict um, how they were going to design the book cover. So I told him, you know, I started, I'm getting closer. And so he said, okay, let me know when you 
um, get to that point where you have a good estimate. And I want you to come in and talk to the classroom, give them a little bit about you that they don't know. Because some of the students knew me because, you know, I'm, I'm Miss J. I was a finance lady and they had to give me their money. Oh, <laughs> so, okay, okay. Um, but if they didn't know me, he wanted them to know, see a different side of me. And since they were going to design the book cover, I wanted to give them free reign and use their creativity. But he wanted me to give a little bit of what the book was about. So I came into the classroom one day. Um, I told, I read uh, one chapter to them and, you know, gave them a background of the book. And I said, okay, do whatever color you want, whatever design you want, you know, whatever. So my son, um, I continue to keep them in every part of my life. I, I had to narrow it down. I had all these posters, and I brought them home because he, he printed them all off for me. You know, once they designed it, 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 it I think, I can't remember how long it took, maybe a few weeks, maybe a month, but um, he printed the posters off. I brought them home, and we looked over them. But when I saw that book design, I cried. I knew that was the one because I realized in that it was the new beginning of me. It was a new chapter in my life. It was God using me to evolve me from this caterpillar that wasn't quite sure that I really truly believed in my abilities and my talents and my gifts. But once I published the book, I knew that it was a new beginning, a new life. So Jamie Maul, she's a high school student. She designed that book cover and she based it on everything that I told her what the book was about. Mm. And it couldn't have been more perfect to, like you said, motivate and inspire people from the cover. Mm -hmm. So no matter what, if people didn't have time to read the book, or if they read it and they just needed a word for the day to get them through, it was right there. Now, purple is my favorite color. She didn't know that. Yellow was my favorite color. She didn't know that. And it just worked. Perfectly. Let me read some of the things that are on the cover. I mean, just picking it up. You are super. You are pretty. You are creative. You are hardworking. You are clever. You are magnificent. You are respectful. You are hopeful. You are fun. You are cool. You are talented. You are hope. You are wonderful. You are essential. You are dear, you are special, you are amazing, you are beautiful, you are extraordinary, you are breathtaking. You are worth it, you are not alone, you are critical. I mean, all of these things, just picking it up and all, already I'm feeling better. You know, not even just better about myself, but just better about you as an author, because you're just saying all of these things to me as the reader. I'm like, oh, I want to see what she's talking about. Yes. But what kept you going? Because I know through the edits, how many ed how many edits did it take for you to come with a final copy? Um. Okay. So I'm kind of old school. I write like I write. I have to handwrite my thoughts. Um. As as a college student, well, I don't know these days. I think they just use laptops. But um, you know, I have to write notes in notebooks, and I just I wrote out most of it and then I typed it so the edits were the little the little things towards the end but I would just um, write out the story and some of the stories were from me my perspective 
or some of the stories were because some some people didn't feel comfortable or didn't feel comfortable meaning they didn't think that they could write something so they would just tell me and then they're like okay well you can write it so I would just write out um, and then you know make sure they were okay with what it was mm-hmm. and then some people actually wrote to me and I just had to you know change change up some of the words I don't want to take away from their uh, how they would speak but just make it a little um, clearer you know more readable yeah for people but um, what kept me going so I knew that when I set the goal in January 2014, I would publish in July 2014. Um, I want to say in February or March, I, w- I had the opportunity to uh, be a speaker for one of the workshops at a national conference, and that was the push that I had to have this book completed, published, printed by July 8th, because July 8th was the first day of the conference and I needed to have the book. Now, in the midst of that, I knew that my marriage was coming to an end and it was challenging because I'm not a person that likes to give up when I say I'm going to do something. So despite what was happening in my life personally on that side, I also used the book to keep motivating me, to push me to a place of positivity and to know that even though one chapter was ending in my life, another chapter was beginning. So as I, there were many nights that I didn't sleep, um, whether it was, I would say, Related, um, you know, preparing for that, um, preparing my, you know, my mind, my kids, and the separation that was uh, inevitable. I didn't know what it looked like, you know, because it hadn't fully happened yet. Mm-hmm. But it was a lot of um, awkwardness and silence in our home as we started to work through that. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was a lot of challenges. And then I'll throw in my job was um, pretty demanding, and it was getting towards the end of the school year, so, you know, people were paying a lot of fees. And like I said, I was the, I was the accounting person um, at the high school, so there was just a lot. So in the evenings when I would work on the book, um, like I said, sometimes I'm up to 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, I would sleep maybe three or four hours, but I was determined, no matter what, to get it done. And um, I had a mentor, or I have a mentor, she's still in my life, who was there for me from the day I told her I was gonna publish it, to checking in on me, seeing if I needed any help. Um, she co-edited it for me. I had one other person who read the book in full, and she gave me her edits, but my friend, that was uh, Elma, but my friend Anita, she, just, if, if there was something that didn't look right or something that seemed off, she would give me her input, and I trust her with my whole heart, so I'm just so glad that I have her in my life, but during that time, she helped me, so the edits weren't so complicated, mm-hmm. because, like, this woman is bad. When I say bad, and her being in my life, like, forever... There were times where I would get stuck on college papers when I was going to college, and 
I could call her, uh, text her, whatever, at whatever time of the day, night, and she was there for me. So that's how we got it done. And and until the until me clicking the submit button, um, I'm in Washington on Pacific time. She's in Atlanta, Georgia, on Eastern time. So our three hour time difference. I feel like we submitted that book, and I say we because we were actually sharing computer screens. She was like like there like she <laughs> she was my 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 right hand but um it was the last little bit and i think i clicked the submit button it probably was like four o'clock in the morning georgia time wow on july 8th and you clicked the and you submitted it to a publishing firm so i used uh i self-published okay i i used create space Oh, cool. uh, Space was suggested to me by a few people, but I still had to figure it out for myself. But it was an easy, it was, um, the platform is different now. So when I try to help people, um, like it's, it's not the same. Okay. So I need to, when I have time, maybe when, when two of my kids are gone, uh, <laughs> I can help more people. But, but um, in 2014, Create Space was um, a really good source and a great platform. And, Basically, you once you have everything typed up, if you have your own book cover, you just submit that. They format it. You um, copy everything into from you know Word and into their format, and it's the page numbers are done. Everything flows. Now, a few, there's a few like spaces in the book that I had no control over, and that. One o'clock in the morning, I said, I can't keep going back to figure this out. But it all worked out. So, um, yep, so I self-published and create space. They, they also had, I don't know if they still do, they can create book covers for you. Mm-hmm. And they can, um, they can edit for you. Now, these are all extra fees. For me, I didn't have the money to do anything. And as a matter of fact, I want to say this to any um, inspiring authors out there, there are ways for you to publish a book, self-publish a book with little to no money. You just have to be willing to put in the work for fourth hardcore because I was blessed to be able to publish my book and has zero come out of my pocket. Amen. That is a blessing. Well, let me tell you, this book, the fact that it's a collection of um, ways that you've impacted people and the ways that people have impacted you. For example, when you were talking about Dwayne, the shoe carnival, right? The, the, the salesperson. Oh, yes. um, and then it was you actually talking about someone. I found it was, that was a great like twist for me. Now I'm hearing your voice about how this simple interaction in a shoe store, you know, changed into this lifelong friendship that's lasted over years. So let me talk about him real quick. I need to make sure he hears this. <laughs> so as a little girl at Shoe Carnival, he used to make sure my mom got hooked up. He knew that she was a single mom. And, uh, you know, me and my two sisters, we, we, you know, everybody needs shoes and girls, we need a uh, few more pair than boys sometimes, but I don't know, this generation is kind of different. <laughs> but anyways, um, Shoe Carnival, what, 
what my what we loved was he would be on the microphone you know you spin the wheel and you get these discounts and he made sure that my mom received mega discounts and when we reunited after a few years um, at a shoe carnival in another state that's when I made sure that we never lost touch and he became the big brother that I never had mm -hmm. and I could confide in him about a lot of things and um, I remember you know, he was married and he had a child and um, as he was going through his divorce, now I'm married and pregnant with my first child and you know, we, we could just dialogue and I learned a lot from him and even his perspective as a man that helped me a lot of times in my own marriage. But um, he remarried, had more children, and um, what I loved about when um, me now as an adult and, and um, you know, having a child, he came to visit me with two of his older kids, mm -hmm. and I was able to braid his daughter's hair. And, you know, they're white, so, you know, it's different to braid hair to, to keep it, but his him being white his race never had any impact or lessened our friendship i could call him right now and if there was something going on with me he would try to figure out a way to help me um, when i was going through my divorce he would check on me you know make sure i'm okay make sure the boys are okay he's watched my son grow from baby like my 18 year old now he met him when he was uh, well, I think, was I pregnant with him? No, I, I guess he met him the, the first time he was one. And then he got to see him again because I came to visit in Illinois. But when I moved to the Midwest uh, two years ago in the summer, we were close to where he lived and we were able to see each other. And even though my son don't really, didn't really know him, mm -hmm. it was just a beautiful to see them talk because he knows all about them. So... He was able to talk to them about what he knows about them with football and basketball. And it was just it was just beautiful seeing him, thinking about this man who's known me since I was uh, 12 years old to, you know, adulthood and, and just really being a part of my family, really mm -hmm. being there. And he, he just never made me not feel that I didn't matter. So speaking of that, I'm glad you mentioned the race piece because there was a part in the book where you talked about feeling alone when you realized that you were the only black girl in a class of like over 20 kids. And I think that's when you moved to the suburbs, when you left. Well, to Savannah, yep. I yep. moved to Savannah, Illinois, from, Chicago, from the Chicago area. Now, let me ask you a question on that. Like, how did that make you feel in terms of walking into a classroom and you're think and you're thinking that you're going to you know represent be part of the representation and then you realize you are the only representation i remember feeling alone and confused and even even i don't know if i ever told my mom this but a little mad that like why do we have to move here <laughs> remember that Dang, I haven't thought about that in a while. But um, I, I I wanted to fight, <laughs> but I didn't. But um, I don't know. It was just, it, it was a tough year um, in fifth grade. Mm. And um, 
Did I it think, get better? But it did. What I think what needed to happen was because um, it was foreign for a lot of the kids. Even though there was a military installation there, and they would bring um, black families from you know all over, it still was different. So I just think that some of the students, with them not being exposed needed to know who I was mm. and who, you know, the other black kids were. It was like, it was like maybe a testing period, which shouldn't have been, but when you're not exposed, that is what it is, you know? Right. It got better, and there's a few people I can say that I, they never made fun of me, but, um, you know, friends, uh, a couple of my white friends, and one girl, she's uh, Korean, um, we became friends, remain friends, um, even to this day, and some of them have children, you know, my son's age, and we have been able to watch our kids grow, um, especially through social media, because some of them I haven't been able to see, but I just love that, that it's, it's I think, I want to say six or seven of them from fifth grade through high school that we we actively engage with each other and encourage each other as parents. And I could have never saw that happening, um, us being kids coming from Savannah, Illinois, but I'm so grateful to have them in my life. And um, it's, it's just, it's beautiful. And um, yeah, so, I, so even though I was mad, like why do we move there? I can honestly say that it, it turned out to be the um, best thing that could have happened. I would say for me, I don't want to speak for my sisters. I think they feel the same way. Okay. But um, because because while they weren't exposed to us, we weren't exposed to them. So what I know and what I can speak to is that me, you know, going to a predominantly white high school helped me to get to know people outside of my race. Whereas you know, sometimes living in a place where it's predominantly your race and, you know, bad things are happening, sometimes you have that stigma or that thought in your mind that they're against you right. when every person isn't against you. And I have many friends that have came through for me more than other friends that I thought would have. So I'm, I, I try to keep myself open, but um, it helps me to learn about people outside of my culture and my race. And it helped me when I was in the military because I I could tell, you know, some people who weren't exposed prior mm-hmm. and then to those who were exposed then as an adult, it's, it's difficult to um, come out of what you were first and what you were taught to believe. Yeah. And one of the reasons it's- why I asked you that is because when I read that in your book, I immediately identified when I came, when my family came from Haiti, from Haiti to Paris, and then here to the United States as a, a grammar school. You know, back then we called it grammar school, not to call it. Yeah, yeah, we did. <laughs> the whole language has changed. But I remember um, going to a school predominantly. It was, it was, it was mixed, but there were very few Haitian kids there and I remember being teased by African American kids and the white kids and so I was angry at everybody (laughs) I remember not really 
identifying with anybody quickly. And again, we had the language barrier. So I spoke French and Creole and everyone's talking English. And so I'm sitting there like, what the heck are these people saying? And they're looking at me like, what the heck are you doing here? So when we learned to speak English, for some reason, I still had that. I want to say, I don't want to say animosity, but I remember all of the people who bullied me when I was in grammar school. I still remember them. And a couple of them had tried to befriend me on Facebook, even as an adult. And I was still bitter. I was like, I'm not befriending your butt. Heck no. I remember you. You know, so <laughs> I definitely understood what you talked about when you said you felt alone. Because that feeling of isolation is painful. Yeah. Um, and, and I I will tell you this. Also, moving to that area... And when you were talking about your language, and um, I'm sure your accent, which I I knew you had an accent. It's so beautiful. So, <laughs> anyways, um, what happened when you when you go to a different area, your accent changes. Yes. And I remember we would go back to Chicago and visit, and people would say, "Why do you talk white? You sound so proper." And that that animosity that you have, I felt it until I finally realized, you know what, I'd rather be accused of talking proper mm. than of talking like I don't have sense where people can't respect how I speak, you know, and then I, I remember being afraid to go to, um, I got accepted to Gremlin and, you know, predominantly black school. Mm -hmm. But I, I thought that if I went to that school, the black people there would make fun of me because I talked white, because I talked proper, not knowing that all these other black people speak well and proper, and exactly. there's nothing wrong with that. Exactly. So, but that, but that's what sometimes when you are not exposed and you're stuck in one area, mm -hmm. people will put those those thoughts in your mind and it's hard for it to be erased like you said to you know even into adulthood people trying to find out about you like you didn't care about me then why do you care about me now you don't need to know goodbye <laughs> you know <laughs> don't don't click the friend button don't accept because although yeah maybe you have changed and you've grown for you for the betterment of you but it's not for somebody in your past to try to figure it out because they they should have gave you an opportunity then. I think, That's how I feel. Right. I think for me, mine's more so out of hurt, you know, because I was hurt as uh, a child. Right. You know, I remember all of those things. Like, there's very little about my childhood that I don't remember. And those things that stick out the most, you know, the good times and the bad times. But for me, the bad times are when I was being teased. I remember being my hue you know, being dark skinned, I was called tar baby, you name it. And I was called it. And I remember who said it. And I remember one day my sister and I were walking home and there was a brother, sister, I'll call them team. Um, cause they lived in our, they lived in our community. So we all took the same bus from school, like the number 15 bus we took, um, from school into our general area and we had to walk home. And I remember them at one time, one of them spat on the back of my jacket. Mm -hmm. And all I heard was the, the hurling of spit. And I 
was, what? I teared, I just cried, I cried. And my sister, you know, she doesn't play. She was ready to pounce. And actually, she, 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 she handles business. And so I remember that day, like, I was so livid at that family, but also just livid at societies. Like, why are people so mean? Why are people so hateful? Like, why do these things have to happen? And when, you know, when we think about even today, that runner that was killed, why are people so mean? Why are yes. people so hateful? And it's like the hate doesn't go away. It's just different players playing their roles. You know what I mean? Uh -huh. Shift shift the players out, shift me out, shift a mod in, and it's like hate all over again. And what gives me hope is that when I see books like yours that take uh -huh. that pain and takes away the sting and gives you hope that not everybody feels that way. And these are and these are words that you can start to say to yourself to make you feel like to soothe, to self-soothe and to, you know, and become whole. Because when I read yeah. your cover and you say you are blessed, you are beautiful, you are breathtaking, that just made me take a step back and just so, oh, yes. I, You know, you need to hear that. Even if you don't read the book, read the cover, that in itself is just so empowering. And I, and I just thank you for having the heart the courage, the time, and also making the sacrifice to sit down and actually write the book and to be the person and to personify the book. Cause you yourself, I mean, you are so encouraging. Every time I see your name on a post, like I said before, it's about encouragement. I've never seen a post where you've gone in on anyone negatively or, or to even hurt someone's feelings. That's just not the image of you that I have in my mind at all. Thank you. I, I try my best. Well, I think you do I, more than that. I think you 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 are you are your best. You are at your best. Thank you so much. That really means a lot. Wow. So if there was a little black girl, what would you say to her about your book? Mm, about my book. Mm -hmm. I would I would um I would hand it to her and I would tell her to brace herself for different challenges that may come her way, different obstacles that may come her way, that there may be times where people who you think care about you really, truly don't, that there may be times where you feel like you want to give up, but despite all that, you matter. Mm -hmm. And I want you to read these stories, and some you may be able to apply to your life right now, some, it may take you until you're an adult, but it's going to make sense, and it's going to help you to be stronger, it's going to keep you motivated, and it's going to help you to want to help many other people to never forget that they matter. Mm, because okay. you are special, you are unique, you are beautiful. And no matter what anybody says in this world to you, you matter. Now, what would you say? What do you say to your sons? Because you have three handsome black boys in the world that we live in and the way that this world feels about our black sons. What do you say to your sons in relation to you matter 
as a mom and as an author? Well, I, I pretty much would say the same thing, or I do say the same thing, to include that, you know, in the sports world, where, you know, my, my sons, they, um, I was listening to a song, sorry, let me, let me just, I was running last night, and I don't even know what song it was, because I don't have like a true, true playlist, but sometimes random songs will come on, and I can't remember, I think it might have been a Life Gen- Jennings song, but I never heard it before. I, I, I told myself I was going to go back and look, but he said, he has, he said to be average, to be to be above average or something like that, you have to work harder. Mm-hmm. To be great, you have to work ten times harder than that. To be greater than the next person, you have to be work ten times harder than that. But something along those lines. And I just, when I was listening, I was thinking about my sons and um, especially my two older ones. They don't. My middle son, he's he's now getting to a point where he doesn't want to just be average. Okay. He, he's okay with that my older son he's never wanted to be average good but what i tell them both and i think that they are grasping it to people are gonna always try to either just push you in or sit you down but to show them that you are worth more than that you're going to have to work harder it's not going to come easy for you nothing will come easy for you and even when you think that you have the skills and the ability and the talents and you've worked and worked and worked and worked you're still gonna have to grind 10 times harder right to prove that you are worth it and it's not about kissing anybody's butt it's not about trying to um just find your place it's about being the best and so what I tell them when they get discouraged to look at me, they have witnessed so much that they know now, um, especially even what I did last night. They've witnessed me set goals for myself and go through challenges, but I always come out. And I also tell them, don't wait for somebody to accept you. You like you don't have to wait. You don't you don't need to wait for that. You go ahead and pave your own way. Amen. Create your own success. If you if you can't get in right there, then do something different. But let the negativity and let what people try to say that you can't do fuel you positivity and motivation to go even further than what anybody thought that you could do. Now, as far as like you know them, their their race and where they are, I, I I don't I don't know it all. I don't have it all. I'm not a man. My father wasn't um, you know much in my life as um, you know a, a good male role model. Um, but there are a lot of men that I have been around, and there are a lot of men that my sons have been around that have mentor them and help them but you know it's it's a challenge all in itself i think and it will i I don't know that the world will change and it's going to be um different anytime soon and 
and even more now, but they they know to be aware of what they're where they're at, what they're doing. But we can never predict what if, right? Because you know, as we saw with uh, Maude Aubrey, it, it, that wasn't even a what if situation, right? What if you're just out running and out living? They, you know, you know just, just living life and you know this happens we we but what we do talk about is people are going to look at you a certain way mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean that you need to be so on the you know defense that it's assumed that you're going to get gunned down but at the same time to make sure that you are doing the right things and that you are respectful and that you don't give anybody any reason whatsoever to come at you. So that's funny now, you say that. And that's funny you say that because we had a similar conversation with my son and that statement right there to give someone reason, you don't even need, they don't even need a reason, right? Because they just, like with Ahmad Avery, they just went after him. Yeah. He didn't say anything. He wasn't dressed any certain way. You know what I mean? Like yeah. the way that we are perceived has typically nothing to do with us is their perception they have the issue not us what i tell my son and what my husband tells my son is that i need you to be respectful at all times no matter who's talking to you you look at them eye to eye whether you're talking to a man whether you're talking to a woman you need to be confident enough and you need to look eye to eye because you know where you've come from and you know where your parents have come from and you know where your grandparents have come from. So you need to stand here as a proud Haitian American young man who's educated because we've put investments in you. (laughs) I mean, we've invested in your education in your athleticism and we expect you to be grateful and to be humble because most grateful people are humble because they understand the sacrifices of what people has made for them. Yeah, that, that's, that, we, we have those same conversations and I'm so glad that they are. I mean, they, they tell me all the time about, um, kids they know that are entitled and Mm. their parents have raised them to be entitled and, you know, they can get what they want, you know, whatever. One thing with my sons, I've never been their friend. That's right. Um, That's right. I'm their mother. And regardless of one being six feet tall and six three, they know the day I will break them down. <laughs> Period. As you should. As you, <laughs> you should. Period. I, and I can, I can say with a smile and with a warm heart that... My sons have never disrespected me. They've never called me out of my name. They've never talked back to me. They are um, the most humble kids that I know. They don't ask for much. They're, you know, being a single mom, you know, a lot of people, um, they can take advantage of that. Mm-hmm. Me, I just try to hustle and do what I got to do. But I think because people see me work so hard and do so much for them, um, I would say since I've been divorced, their Christmases have been amazing. Like, I I am always blown away 
how people want to do so much for my kids. But I always get this question, what do your kids want? What are they asking for? And I'm like, nothing. Right. I, they, they, they don't ask for anything. They, you know, they're grateful to have, you know, maybe a new pair of shoes, but they don't, they don't seek after, like, the expensive things. I remember one of my friends with the, um, with the whole stimulus check coming, he's like, what you, what's going to get your kids? Or, oh, no, what are, what are your kids asking for with that check? I'm like, first of all, I don't even think they realize about a stimulus check. Right. And second, they're, they're not, they don't ask for anything. I said, my son just asked me if I could dye his hair blonde. <gasps> my son asked the same question this week. He wants to dye the <laughs> tips of his hair. I'm like, what's up with all this? Yeah, dye it. It's, it's little things like that. Not not going after material things. Like, when you raise your kids to be grateful and humble, I believe that they will remain that way. When you raise them that way. You can't start out when they're a teenager. It's too late. Right. That has to be embedded in them as a as a little child that I want, I want, I want, I want. No. Don't ask. You're not getting it. Or, oh, okay, I'll get you this one thing. Because then you raise them to feel like if they just keep asking, they're going to get it. And they're going to, and then that mindset trains into a teenage where they, they expect it. Mm-hmm. And, oh, why didn't you get me this? Uh, no child should talk back to their parents, parents like that. Right. With the not knowing, not knowing what can happen, what will happen, what will be the next target, what will be the next, the next thing that you didn't even do anything at all. Mm-hmm. Not knowing that, but to always, you know, look in the eye, look anybody in the eye, because this you, you just don't know, and you have to know that you are. You are a target. You, you fit the description of a black boy. It's not about wearing a hoodie. Right. It's not about wearing your hat backwards. It's not about wearing a certain color. You are black, and that's it. But you can also use that to show other people, I am a black boy, but I'm not a thief. Yeah. I'm not uneducated. I, you know, I have goals and ambitions. I'm, I want more out of my life. How can I help you? How can I serve you? I love that my kids are have a servant heart. Our black boys don't fit the one one mold, and yep. the per and the problem is they look at our black boys with the one mold eye, you know, and they need to clean that lens because there's just so much diversity in what we do and how we look, you know, because of history, right? And because of all these things, but when I think about, you know, your book, You Matter, those are some of the things that I have to think about in terms of how do I continuously tell my son that he matters, continuously tell him that what you do matters, right? Because that word matter of substance, that word matter is critical, right? You matter. You are relevant. You have substance, you are real, you know? Yes. All that. Oh. And it'll never it'll never get old. No. Nope. It's nope. always going to be relevant. Being you matters. How does being you fuel you? Like how do you continuously strive to be the best version of you after this book? Is there a part two? I'm waiting for a part two. <laughs> 
<laughs> second book? I mean, what's what's the, what's your next life? What does part two of your life look like? Oh my goodness. So there's a part two, and I don't know. I'm not quite sure why it's taken so long, but at the same time, I think because so many different things have happened since part one that um, that the stories are still being written. Mm. And I thought I thought a year later, I remember my um, when we celebrated, my older kids were saying, okay, now you should write about everything that happened since the book. And I, I was like, oh, that's a great idea. But from 2014 to now 2020, whew, um, that, that's a challenge and a half. I do believe that um, there will be a part to you matter, but I also believe that in my heart is a burning desire to write a book for single mothers mm. raising sons because, again, like I, I didn't have everything that I do I don't try to take the place of a father. I don't try to take the place of a man. I'm winging it. But I know a lot of mothers struggle with their sons. And um, I just want to help encourage them. And I believe that from my experiences of homeschooling them way before a pandemic, um, where I was just, I was not forced to do it, but I had to make the choice to homeschool them because I refuse for them to become a statistic of one child being the silent child and he was picked on, making him feel like he had a mental problem. Mm. And then another child being labeled as the bad student who always gets in trouble. And even if he didn't do anything, because he got in trouble so much, he's he continues to be the target. Right. I could not allow those labels to be on them. And I had to resign from my well-paid job to be at home with them, not even thinking that I could teach them. But it was a great decision, and I have no regrets, and I would do it again. And they actually enjoyed um, me. We had a lot of crying days because I didn't know what I was doing. But I, I learned as I went, and they learned. And I know that that prepared me for right now, where now mothers are home with their kids and they, and a lot of them you know frustrated and and don't know what they're doing but i had practice in that i was set up for that years ago right that it's been you know fairly smooth for us um because you i i got to know them i know this is an interview about me but you my friend my sister <laughs> your positivity your encouragement you're, you don't know, well, I think I told you, but I, one of my bucket list goals is to do a bodybuilding competition. And Yay! I have a few friends who have competed, and I watched you as you trained a couple years ago. And, oh, for those of you who are listening, um, Sandra and I have yet to meet face-to-face. <laughs> That's true. That is so true. <laughs> After being friends for almost, what, four years? Yes, three years, yes, four years? yes. Social media can be used in a positive way, and you can cultivate wonderful friendships if you choose to. That is so but, true. That is so true. Um, as far as being a customer goes, I need people to, to buy your, your gear, your clothing wear, because even if they're not a runner, oh, my God, the pants are so comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? I've, I've partnered with some really good manufacturers, um, 
And you know, it's it's a growing pains because when I first started, I was doing t-shirts, you know, heat press and stuff. And so I've um, matured into other areas. And so it's been a blessing to do the clothing line, to, to now have the podcast, you know, it's the enterprise, you're building an enterprise and, and people yeah. like you who support have made it possible for me to fulfill my dreams. Cause I've always wanted to do something, um, that benefited the community. And this year I've donated so many face masks. I've donated t-shirts. I mean, it's just been a blessing and I couldn't do it without customers. I couldn't do it without friends like you. So I really appreciate one, you coming and interviewing while well, having this conversation with me, but also just being a true friend. I mean, again, you're at the party. We're having a good time. I'm not worried about, you know, those who aren't here because because you're yes. here. Yes. You're yes. having, you know, the conversation. We're having this experience. We're having this interaction. And this is where I want to spend my time on the positive stuff, you know, focusing yes. and interacting with people who've made the choice to interact with me. And that is a choice. Human interaction is a choice. And so this is the benefit that we give each other, the, the, the value of time. So I value your time and I truly value you and the fact that you are here and sharing your life, sharing your thoughts, your books, your aspirations. Again, you are just so phenomenal. And again, thank you so much for having this conversation with me. Thank you. You're welcome. Have a blessed weekend, sis. You too. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, bye. Bye. You matter. It's such an important topic, especially when we look at our sons and our daughters in the society that we live in. Just remember that being you matters. You matter. You are beautiful. You are powerful. You are relevant. You are breathtaking. You are like no other. Thank you for listening to Being You 365. As always, please leave comments. Thank you so much for the feedback. Please remember to follow and subscribe so that we can continue this conversation. And you never know, the next conversation might be with you. Good night. Take care.